bonus episode? Oh my gosh, this guy is great. No, this is not a bonus episode, you guys. I have just decided to release the second episode of Self-Assembly a little early uh, due to the fact that we have an election approaching and the content of this episode is uh, pretty timely and I wanted to get this out well ahead of the election. You'll find out once you start listening to the episode. Um, so you're going to get two today. You'll get one next week. And then after that, we're going to go to a bi-weekly release of Self-Assembly. So an episode every two weeks. Hopefully that is enough to satiate your desire for my soothing voice. Please enjoy the show. Hey friends, welcome to another episode of Self-Assembly. I'm your host, Zach Kusine, and I am thrilled that you have joined me here today for another wonderful conversation about some pretty weird stuff. Before we jump into that, though, um, I need to talk about a quote that's been on my mind. It's it's one of my favorite quotes. comes from a man by the name of uh, Henry David Thoreau. Maybe you've heard of him. It goes as follows. There are a thousand hacking at the branches of evil to the one who is striking at the root. That's one of my favorite quotes because I feel like it really encapsulates this moment quite a bit. There are a lot of different people hacking at a lot of different branches, fighting for different causes, different issues. There are so many issues to hone in on, but we all can't seem to collectively identify what the single root of our issues are this this one thing that if we could strike down and and conquer it would beckon us into a living utopia that i know we're we're all all capable of achieving further challenging is that we all can't not only are there many people hacking at different branches but we all can't really agree on on the one root I'm not gonna say that the roots that I have in mind is necessarily the thing that's going to fix all of our issues, but I do believe that this root that I'm thinking of um, would be a good start. And that root is our neglect of our mental health. I know this is a big, big topic and I am by no means an expert in this. Uh, in fact, I'm actually a person that's been very blessed to have not experienced a lot of personal mental health issues, I'm extremely thankful for that. Um, but over the past couple years, I've I've experienced it peripherally. I've had friends who've really, really battled with it and um, actually lost one of them to, to suicide um, a couple years ago. It, it was just, it was devastating. The, the hardest part for me was just thinking about the fact that there was this guy who on the surface just seemed so happy. He was this jovial person to be around but but underneath that there was this soul that was so tortured and 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 broken that he couldn't find the purpose of of living anymore and and ended up taking his own life it, it was it was really really sad and even sadder still is the fact that that one story is such a small, small, small fraction of how prevalent that issue is. There are so many people in this world right now that are experiencing mental health issues and beyond just the the feeling that comes with it, this this feeling of either whether it be anxiety or depression, those just the weight 
that those things can can bring on you. I think what upsets me even more is knowing that that's a person that is not able to tap into the full potential of who they are. That is a person that for whatever reason, whatever they experienced that put them in there, or perhaps it's just something has, um, you know, there, there is, there is in fact a, a chemical imbalance. There is something biological happening, whatever the reason they are in that state we don't seem to be super good at solving that yet. And I think that until we figure that out, until we can provide the avenues for people to cure their mental illnesses, not just treat, because I I think that there is hope for curing mental illness. I know that sounds crazy. I know it it doesn't really, it's not really... uh, it's not really what we pursue. It, it seems like even whether it's through therapy or for or through medication or through a combination of both, to me, it seems that the approach of that is largely just a, a management of symptoms. We look to um, sort of quell whatever the feeling is and learn to live with it rather than going deep and doing the real mental work and examining where are these bad thoughts coming from? Where is this depressive state originating from? Why do you feel anxiety about the world? What is happening? Um, Until we provide the avenues to truly address those questions in a person, we're sort of doomed to this process where a person might have to be taking psychotropic drugs the rest of their life. A person might have to spend a shitload of money year after year after year going to a therapist. And and people have had life, life-changing success with these avenues of, of treatment. I don't want to, by any stretch of the imagination, dismiss those. But I do think that there is a lot more that we could be doing to go deeper to truly talk about curing these mental illnesses rather than just treating them. And I think that that is the root of all evil because once we solve that, then you have a real sort of paradigm-shifting situation where you have masses of people that are operating at their optimal level. You have people that for the first time in their lives, maybe, they don't feel this weight of anxiety or or depression, and they can truly look inward and see, who am I? What am I supposed to be offering the world? What makes me feel good? How do I think about myself in my relationship with my fellow man? You can't have those kind of deep, big kind of philosophical thoughts when the only thing you're thinking about is how the fuck am I going to get through this day? How am I going to get out of bed? How am I going to shower? How am I going to feed myself? I I mean, I, I, you know, I said I didn't have any personal issues with it, but I mean, I've had, I've had bouts of depression and my God, is it, is it challenging? My, my experience has always just been uh, this sort of gray feeling, you know, I think that's the, the, the biggest challenge of it is it's, it's not even necessarily like this 
obvious sadness. It's just this dull feeling of nothing. And I don't want to do anything. I don't want to laugh. I don't want to cry. I don't want to move. I just want to be in bed and and sleep and just hope that maybe the next day feels a little better. I feel like that's a ton of people. And there are a ton of people that are really, really desperate for help. And I'm just so disappointed and upset that we aren't further along in fixing this. I think that if we can truly, truly solve this, we will have an army of beautiful, beautiful human beings that are going to really, really change the way that this world works. I think it's possible, I truly do, and today's guest uh, is someone that is doing, doing the damn work to try to make this happen. Um, she is a DC government employee, she is a mom, and she is the spokesperson for I-81, which is a initiative here in Washington, D.C. to decriminalize the use of naturally occurring psychedelic drugs. Uh, we had a fantastic conversation, and I just ask that you go into this one with an open mind, maybe try to erase any sort of perceptions you may have of these things, and I think you'll Really, really enjoy the conversation. And if you live in Washington, D.C. and you plan on voting, which, come on, y'all, you better plan on voting, uh, you have the opportunity to make a decision on this. So please, everyone, give it up for Melissa Lavasani. Within like a few days of microdosing, it was like night and day. And it was almost like this holy shit moment. Like, did we just find like the golden ticket here? We all believe in this. And we all have experienced tremendous healing with plant medicines. All right, we have Melissa Lavasani on the show. Melissa, welcome, how are you doing? I'm good, Zach, how are you? I'm doing doing super well. Um, Melissa, you... Um, have been in the local DC media um, for a little bit, and I think my my favorite um, my favorite sort of label that the media has given you is the most normal person ever. And oh my god, I, no pressure, right? I know, right? <laughs> and I'm wondering if maybe um, you can explain maybe why the most normal person ever um, is a an appropriate title for for you and the work that you're currently doing. Well, I think that's a relative term, normal. Um, my life definitely doesn't feel normal at all right now. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think that I got that label because um, there's, been, there's been like a long-standing psychedelic movement in this country, and it's really looked a certain way. And, and I think I bring a different, I, I'm looking at the psychedelic movement from a different lens as um, a mother of two little kids as a professional woman that's well-educated. Um, you know, these, this is not the image that people normally think of when they think of a psychedelic advocate. So, um, yeah, I got, I, I, <laughs> that is probably one of my most favorite articles was it was in the Washingtonian and I got in the print edition too. So it was pretty exciting, but yeah, being labeled the most normal person in the world is a bit surreal. Um, I think that when you go, 
through a terrible experience like severe depression, nothing feels normal about you. And there were definitely times when I felt like a complete alien on this planet and still times that I do feel like that a little bit. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing because I felt so isolated and now I have this just entire community of people and it spans internationally too, of like people that, you know, want me to, want me to get this done here in DC and are really rooting for us here. So it's what it's, exactly it is that you are you doing? What t tell the audience a bit about the campaign. So, yeah. So I proposed initiative 81, the entheogenic plant fungus policy act of 2020 in Washington, DC. Um, I am also chairwoman of decriminalized nature DC, which is the campaign that's supporting initiative 81. Um, yeah, it's, it was a kind of a long journey here, but I'm not a, I'm not in politics. I work in local DC government. Um, I manage the budget of the Department of Energy and Environment. So um, I got a pretty heavy duty job with DC government. Um, I, you know, had a relatively normal life. I, my parents were Iranian immigrants. They moved to DC in the seventies, right? As the revolution was happening in Iran and um, they, they just came to this country for opportunity for their children. And, um, you know, I, I grew up in the Midwest and I returned to DC in 2004 to finish an internship, uh, to finish my master's degree. I had an internship here and I stayed here. I only intended to stay for a few years, like so many people do in DC. But, um, you know, I've created a little life for myself and I got another master's degree in public policy and I always wanted to, you know, make a positive impact on society. and. You know, I saw that as being a public servant and, you know, I had resigned myself to um, being okay with that, you know, like maybe I wasn't going to move mountains in my life. And, you know, this was just my life's duty was just to be a good public servant and um, do right by my community. Uh, but when I was pregnant with my second child, I had a really difficult pregnancy. Uh, I had a lot of chronic pain and um, being in pain every day is uh, it takes a mental toll on you and I, I just couldn't take it anymore. I fell into a depression while I was pregnant and I was, my doctors were very concerned. They quickly wanted me to get on antidepressants and, you know, they assured me everything was okay. That my, this is not going to harm the baby. And I could get off of them as soon as, um, you know, I delivered the baby. And I, or I knew that wasn't the case. I had a, I had a few friends that have um, battled depression and had gone on antidepressants. And I just saw them kind of transform into a different person over years and years of being on the same medication mm -hmm. or in, in a lot of times different medications. And it was hard to watch. And I, I really didn't want this. I saw this as a, a problem that you know could potentially be short term. I was pregnant. I was going through a lot. My family was changing. And... Um, I didn't want to go down a road where I was dealing with something like trying to find antidepressant, getting off antidepressants. It seemed like a very long-term issue for me. So I, I vowed to go the natural route. Um, I did every kind of alternative therapy that you could try. I was doing acupuncture. I was going to talk therapy. I was, um, I even did cupping thinking that something needed to move in my body and like, let's get something going. Um, but you know, it, it, it was pretty rough when I was pregnant, but it didn't get really bad until after I had delivered the baby and, you know, nothing was wrong with him. Thank God he was healthy, happy baby. But, um, 
you know, I, I fell into a really deep depression. I was dealing with anxiety, um, paranoia. Uh, I was like, I was convinced I had weird issues with paranoia too. Like it would, it would manifest in different ways. Like I would never allow my husband to drive when the entire family was in the car. For some reason, I thought that like he was going to be like, it was just crazy thoughts hmm. that I have. And um, I was delusional. So like it was a, a kind of depression that's called like psychotic depression where you like you have a literal like psychotic break and everything is just messed up. And um, I was like I was hopeless. I, I had convinced myself that I was a problem for my family and that, you know, if if I just took my own life, then, you know, I could put everyone out of their misery. Like everyone was miserable. My husband was trying to help. He couldn't find a solution. I wasn't being a great mother to my kids. I was trying to just like putting them on the iPad, putting them on the TV, um, just anything to occupy their time. I wasn't attentive to them. Uh, I was, I was doing very badly at my job and I was having people having to cover up for me. Um, and you know, everything was just kind of falling apart. So, um, but I was insistent that, I wasn't going to go on a pharmaceutical antidepressants. I just had that in my head. What was it? Why was that? What, what was your aversion to that? The, well, I had a friend who took his life that was constantly dealing with this issue and couldn't ever find a medication that would work for him. That was one thing. The second thing was the research on pharmaceutical antidepressants is not that great. And any one good studies out there, there's so many other studies that aren't great. And um, it, it's frightening. And you hear about these stories of at least the celebrities that have taken their own lives, like a lot of them were on medications when they took lives or worse, like uh, Chris Cornell, the lead singer of Soundgarden, I believe he had just started a new medication and that's when he took his life. So that prospect was really scary to me. And even in my worst of times, I was convinced that, you know, if I have this issue and I'm like, I'm at the point where I'm like, okay, let's just take your own life. And then you add a medication that just reinforces that thought, like that was frightening. You know, I still had it, maybe a little bit of hope that there was something out there that could fix this problem. And maybe that's what prevented me from taking, um, going through with it and actually taking my life. But um, yeah, I thought that an antidepressant was something I'd have to be on the rest of my life. And I just didn't, I just didn't want to go there. Well, and there's also an aspect of, um, I think, needing to believe in the treatment, right? Whatever, right. whatever it may be. Um, you can have the sort of all the science and, and all the data to, to back up a treatment. But I think a lot of times um, people need to have faith in it. And, you know, they, yeah. they have to sort of allow their body to go with the path that feels that feels right for them. And and it sounds yeah. like, you know, even if you did go down that route, maybe that, you know, it would be, I mean, it, it sounds like, you know, it, it might've been too late at, at a certain point by the time, you know, you did find the, the medication or something, you know, it, it, who knows where things might've gone for you. Yeah. And it's, it's a frightening reality too. Cause I, you know, I'd be in the midst of a panic attack and I don't know if you've any experience with this, but it really feels like you're having a heart attack. And there were moments where I'm like, I, I need to go to the hospital. I need to go to the hospital. But I also knew in my mind that like, if I go to the hospital right now, like I was conscious enough to be like, I'm having a panic attack. And, um, so I figured like, God, they're going to, they're going to put me on all, all these medications that are going to make me into a zombie. And then like, it's over for me. I'm done. Like, there's no coming back from that. Um, and had you, had you had a history of, of, of depression? 
No, no, Crazy. never. It's it, it was, you know, I he, you have your moments when, like you're going through a bad breakup and that's devastating or, you know, you lose a family member. Um, but I've never had anything that I couldn't, you know, work my way out of. Mm. Uh, I, th- I had I had a tiny bit of postpartum after my first daughter, my daughter was born. Um, but, you know, it was just a symptom of, you know, the transition to this new life, um, this identity crisis I was having. I was suddenly a mom and there's no there's so many books out there on motherhood, but they're none of them are really that great. No one really teaches teaches you the reality of how hard this is. Um, but, you know, as soon as I went back to my job and I got into a workout routine, I was eating better, like everything lined up for me. But um, after Ramsey, my son was born, it was like. I couldn't even dig myself out of a hole to like go for a walk and, you know, just get some endorphins flowing. Like it was, it was really everything I had in me to get out of bed every morning and go to my job and just like do the very bare minimum to get by. And just like, like every day it was just like, okay, just make it through this day. Like, <laughs> you know, and it, and it seems like every day is an eternity and every, it's like, you're carrying this weight on you and it's just so exhausting on top of being a parent to two little kids and, you know, having your marriage, which you're just still trying to keep intact with a new family. And that's a thing on its own for a lot of people. So, um, what was your internal was... dialogue? Like, like, could you even, I mean, did you even remember the, the kind of things you were saying to yourself? Oh, I was saying awful things. And a lot of times it was like, I would write down like streams of consciousness where like, I would just, whatever was in my head, I'd write it down and I would like fold up the piece of paper or I have a note in my phone and I put the piece of paper somewhere and um, I'd find it and be like, God, how awful. I, yeah, it was always like, I don't belong here. I'm failing at everything. I'm not worthy of any of this. I've been given this beautiful life and I've been given everything that I wanted and I still don't appreciate it. How awful of a person am I to be in this state of mind while having such like a blessed life? Um, you know, it's just, and sometimes it felt like I was really like, I, I was out of my body. I was mm. like, I'm like, I'm not even here right now. I know my body's here, but like I, my mind just like feels on a different plane. It's a very strange kind of reality to live in. Um, it definitely doesn't feel human at all. And, um, you know, it's, it's funny because these issues I've learned through the campaign are so common with people, but when you're in it, um, it's extremely isolating. And, you know, my husband, God bless him, would always be like, but like we, our life's not that bad. <laughs> and, uh, you know, like it's, it's really, we get, it's okay. Like we can make it through this. And I'd be like, no, like we're never making it through this. I'm, I, there's no way for me to get out of this. It's like these thought patterns just keep reinforcing themselves and get stronger and stronger. And it's depression untreated is frightening. It should be just as frightening as the potential for heart attacks. And, um, you know, like there, we've, we've been taught our entire lives that like our bodies are like a machine and, you know, you sprain your ankle, you wrap it up, you ice it and you take care of it. But like, there's an, a whole other element to us that our society is kind of neglected and our healthcare system is really neglected. And, um, I've learned that that's, that plays such a part in your physical health as well. Um, that it's, it's all connected. If you're, you can be in the best shape of your life and, you know, your mind can be all out of whack and you're not a healthy person, you know? So, you know, we got to take care of our minds. Like we take care of our bodies. 
And so you found yourself in this, the worst depression you could possibly imagine seemingly with no end in sight, no way out. Um, Mm -mm. Tell me what, what happened then? I I mean, clearly there was an event that led to where we are now. Yes. A series of events. Yes. (laughs) Um, So I was in a hole and with no way out, I had decided that, you know, it's just, you know, at some point in the near future that like I was going to take my life and this was like, I I can't take this anymore. And uh, a friend of mine, I only talked to a couple friends about this. Most people had no idea we were going through this. And a friend of mine was like, you need to listen to this Joe Rogan podcast. And um, I was a casual Joe Rogan fan. There were some guests he would have on that I loved and some that I hated. So I'd pick and choose my episodes. But this episode was with Paul Stamets, who is a mycologist, which I didn't even know that that was really a thing, that you could be a mushroom scientist. But um, it was like this super long podcast about um, psilocybin mushrooms and how they changed his life and what the science is saying and what, what research is happening right now and what the potentials are for mushrooms and how this is like a completely neglected element of our world is you know, there's a lot of power to um, fungus and, you know, we're, we're not, we're, we use it in some ways. Um, penicillin is based off of a fungus, but, um, you know, there, there's way more things that we could do with mush, with mushrooms and especially psilocybin has major mental health usage. So, um, you know, my husband grew up in the South and his, in his little, group of friends, they would frequently go out to the cow pastures and pick mushrooms. Like that was the thing that they did. And, um, and you know, he heard this podcast, he was listening with me and he was like, you know, this makes so much sense. Like, you know, whenever you have a night with mushrooms, you feel amazing afterwards the next day, there's no hangover. Uh, you're happy. And this was just something that he did with his friends when he was like a young, dumb kid, not really realizing the impacts of it. But um, he was like, so let's let's try this. And um, you can purchase spores legally on the Internet uh, for scientific purposes. And um, the spores will arrive at your house. And then you, you got to do go through this arduous process of um, growing mushrooms, which is not easy. It takes a long time. You have to keep a sterile environment. Um, if you get contamination, you can get weeks worth of work just gone out the window. So um, it was a, a couple of amateurs trying to grow mushrooms in their house. And, um, you know, we had we had a couple of successful flushes and I began microdosing because, you know, like I I had zero experience with psychedelics. My husband had a lot of recreational experience, but, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't grow up with that community of people around me. I, um, my, my parents were like, they were totally, this was a concept was totally foreign to them. Like they had, um, they had their preconceived notions about people that did did this. Did you tell them that you were going to, you were going to try it before you did? No, no, they would have murdered me. Oh my (laughs) God. Especially because, like, first-generation kids understand this. Like, you kind of have to, like, keep some things from your parents because they don't quite understand, you know. Like, Iranian culture is so different than American culture. And, um, yeah, there there wasn't any conversation about how I was treating myself. But there was, like, definitely conversation about how I was before I was microdosing and how I was after I was microdosing. I didn't – 
I didn't really even tell my mom I was microdosing with psilocybin until after I started exploring what a campaign in DC would look like. And her response was, well, if things are so good, why are they illegal? And I was like, oh, God, Mom, like, do I need to go down this road about why things are illegal in this quite country? A, quite a long road that would be. Yes. yes. So we had, a, we had a long conversation about the war on drugs and pharmaceutical companies and, yeah, oppression and all sorts of things. And, like, to this day, she's honestly still a little skeptical of what I'm doing. I don't think she quite gets it. My dad, I, I don't think he gets it either, but he's a bit more accepting. My mom's just so worried about me and like, and I get it. I'm a mom. I'm it's well, she's and, never not going to be that way. And, and, and their concerns are, are certainly warranted. I mean, oh, yeah. you're uh, psilocybin for those who, who aren't aware is still a schedule one substance. It is yes. extremely illicit. Uh, yes. You can go to jail for a long time. If you get yes. caught with anything, depending on, um, you know, what the, the court system decides to do with you. Um, yeah. w- like what was your, I mean, what was your mindset regarding that going into this? I mean, to, to, to take them, but also to grow them in, in yeah. your own home. Like that's a, that's a crazy step. Like w- what was your thought process around that? It was a very big risk. It was very big. Um, I knew what I was doing was illegal. I was fully aware that it was a schedule one drug. Um, I know that I, I knew that I was growing them in the home that I share with my two little children. Um, I knew that I was a DC government employee and that if anyone found out that I was doing this, I would be instantly lose my job. Um, if a teacher at school found out that, you know, maybe my daughter would spill, oh, my mom grows mushrooms, you know, maybe the teacher would have to report that. And, you know, I could get my children taken away from me. Um, If my, God forbid, my husband and I ever got into a, uh, got a divorce, he could use this against me in court. So um, I knew the ramifications of it. I, at that point in time, it was a risk I was willing to take because it was life or death for me. Right. So Um, everyone has a scale of risk that's acceptable to them. And I guess this was it, you know, I, I had convinced myself that I was going to take my life and, um, you know, I was planning my exit from, um, you know, what, what would, what note I would leave my children, what I would say to them, telling them I'm, they're better off with another mother. Like, that's kind of crazy for me to be thinking those things. And, um, at that time it's like, well, no shit, I'm going to take this, this mushroom just to see if this would even work. Um, it was a shot in the dark and within like a few days of microdosing, it was like night and day. I like, I I was carrying my body differently. I was like walking with my shoulders back and I was looking at people and I was engaging and talking to them. I was engaging with my children again. I was playing out, sitting on the floor and playing with them. And you know, I was communicating with my husband more and, you know, he noticed it immediately. And it was almost like this holy shit moment. Like, did we just find like the golden ticket here? And, um, and so you're, so you mentioned that you were microdosing. I think that, can we just unpack what that is a little bit? Cause I think, you know, people, maybe when they hear, um, I'm going to use psilocybin mushrooms to try to treat my depression, you know, and they're thinking, oh, so you're going to walk around just like, hallucinating all day and that's somehow going to relieve your depression right Right. no i mean it's not like that at all but it can be like that but it's not like that at all um yeah so a 
a, a, a full trip. I think people, when they think about taking mushrooms, it's like they, you're like out of your mind and you're seeing all sorts of things and the walls are talking to you. It can definitely be that kind of experience. And that's around like five grams, depending on people that might be a lot for somebody. Um, the heroic, the heroic dose. As yes, Terrence the heroic McKenna dose. Would say. <laughs> yes. Two to three grams is you're still functional. Um, you're, um, kind of like happy and in a, in a mood to like go out and do something, but a microdose is like an imperceptible amount. So it's like a quarter of a gram. Uh, you barely feel anything. It's like, I hate comparing it to coffee, but it's like having a nice cup of coffee in the morning and like being ready for your day. Uh, I would take it in the morning as like basically with every other supplement that I was taking and um, go to work microdosing on mushrooms. And um, it, it, it really, when I say it wasn't a matter of days, it's literally like a matter of days. And I was like human again. And I, I can't believe that I went from like ready to take my life to, oh, hey, let's see what opportunities and, you know, are in this world. And it's just amazing. And this was after how long of, of being in this severe depressive state? It's like two and a half years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And in, so, in days. Yeah. Days. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, we had, we had a good amount of mushrooms, but I didn't ever had like the consistent like crop of them that I needed to like <laughs> microdose and like fully see this through. Um, so we ran out. I didn't know anybody that had them that I could buy them from. So um, it's also not the <laughs> it's it can be a little challenge. I imagine it would be challenging to to try to go around and like yeah. asking folks, especially. Yeah, I think given my friends would be like, um, no, I don't have any of those. Why? Are you... <laughs> what? What? What the fuck? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, and like, and again, we still hadn't told anybody that we were going through this, like. I, we didn't even tell our friends that we were microdosing. Like, I didn't want anybody to know that um, there was psilocybin growing in our house. So this is a very private thing, but it was kind of like, you know, the quiet, like, holy shit, this works. Like, <laughs> like how, like, let's talk about it with people, but we can't talk about it with people. But, um, you know, I, when we ran out of mushrooms, it was kind of like I kind of dipped a little bit again and it, it never got as bad as it was before. But like I definitely had the depression came back and I didn't feel while I was feeling better overall, I didn't feel like true healing. Um, and I, it, it definitely felt unfinished to me. Mm. And uh, a friend of mine um, had been introduced to an ayahuasca shaman and um I had heard about ayahuasca just through listening to other episodes of Joe Rogan. Uh, he talks about psychedelics a lot. And, um, but I never really thought I'd have the opportunity to do it. Like going to Peru with two little kids while living in the city on a DC government employee's salary. Like going to the not, Amazon jungle in Peru. Yeah, <laughs> like it's, that wasn't really an option for me at the time. Cause I was like getting ready to pay for childcare. And um, that is not cheap here. So I didn't really think that I would ever have an opportunity to do it, but the opportunity kind of fell in my lap and um, it, it sounded so sketchy. It's just like go to some random person's house with a bunch of strangers and drink something from a man you've never met before and like sleep there overnight and like, you know, be vulnerable, completely vulnerable. It's like super high risk type situation. But as soon as I got there, 
and I, you know, my friend would never put me in a terrible situation. She participated herself and, you know, she found profound change in herself and her own issues that she was dealing with at the time. And her life had transformed really. Like I, I saw the change in her. So I was like, wow, that's, you know, that she might have something there. So it was, again, it was a situation of like, well, what do we have to lose? I don't have any mushrooms left. That seemed to work. This is kind of in the same family. Let's, let's see what this is about. So, um, I did a few ceremonies with this ayahuasca shaman and he uses ayahuasca at night in San Pedro in the morning, which is a masculine containing cacti and um, similar to peyote. And I was like transformed. I didn't even like go back to normal. I became like a much better person than I used to be. And um, it, it was really, again, really profound. And I was like, watching the Denver psilocybin campaign happening at the same time while I was going through all these really profound experiences. And I was like, well, why can't DC be doing this right now? You know, like DC was kind of at the forefront of cannabis legalization. We were one of the first jurisdictions, I think. I think we beat California to it. So why not, um, why not see like what a campaign in DC would look like? So I reached out to, well, my husband and I reached out to Kevin Matthews and uh, we had a few conversations. He um, gave us all of his um, literature that he'd been using on the campaign. And, um, you know, he introduced us to certain people in the drug policy reform world. And, you know, we, we didn't really know how this would unfold, but we knew that my husband had, uh, he worked at DC council for, um, two terms under a councilman. So he had a lot of legislative experience. He currently works under the mayor. I currently work in DC government as well. So we have, we've been in, both been in DC for a really long time. And we um, thought that, you know, we would support a movement here. Like we could use our network of people to um, try to get the word out about this and try to get something passed. Um, but you know, it wasn't going to be our campaign. We didn't have the money to fund something like that. Um, and we didn't have the bandwidth, like, honestly, like having two kids is no joke. Like that's almost like a over a full-time job. And I was like, I can't do a campaign like this. Like I will pop in and pop out whenever they need me to, but, um, you know, let's, let's see if we can get something going. So, um, things progressed and then, you know, I got a new job, so I got kind of wrapped up in that. And, um, you know, we didn't really know how to proceed. And then um, I got, my husband got a phone call from Adam Edinger, who uh, was instrumental in, in Initiative 71, which was cannabis legalization in DC. And um, he's known locally as the weed guy. He's the weed guy, yeah, for sure. <laughs> And, you know, he works very closely on social justice issues um, in the city, um, specifically with David Bronner, who funds a lot of his campaigns. So um, David Bronner had been funding a lot of campaigns around the country. And that's Dr. And, Bronner, the, the soap company, right? Yes, Dr. Bronner soaps. Yes, those hippie soaps that have all the writing all over them, which I have used for like 10 years, I have to say. I told this to David as well. I'm like, it's so funny that I... Every shower I take, I sit and I read your label like over and over and over again. And here we are, like we're bound to each other now. So um, 
Yeah, so through Adam, David wanted to fund a campaign in D.C., but, you know, Adam knew he couldn't do it, but he had all the activism uh, community behind him, and he could, like, he, he had the manpower to pull it off, but he, they really needed somebody to spearhead the campaign that looked different, sounded different, and uh, was just different from cannabis activists. And, um, you know, we went out to dinner. I told him, and, you know, that it was initiated because David had contacted Kevin in Denver. And Kevin, David was like, do you know anyone in D.C. that would be interested in this campaign? And Kevin was like, yes, of course. Like, I know Melissa and Daniel. Like, they have a really amazing story, and you need to meet them. So, um you know, we went out to dinner and I told them my story and they were like, we want this to be your campaign. Like you, you need to be the, the person in charge. You, I want, like, you need to be proposing this initiative to the board of elections. Um, you are the perfect messenger for this because you're the most normal person in the world. <laughs> and, um, you know, there's so much stigma tied to psychedelics that, it can't be the the hippie activist that is smoking a joint on Capitol Hill. Like we're not being sensational. We're already sensational and we need to normalize this. So um, you are the person for this. And I was just, you know, I didn't commit to anything at that dinner. I was like, I need to think about this. This is like a very big deal. Uh, I'm not a public person. I, um, you know, I pride myself on um, keeping things behind closed doors. I, my my husband worked in politics, and he was the guy that it, like the that everybody knew, and I was totally cool with being in the background. And um, you know, it's so we kind of they you know Adam would hit me up and be like, "Have you made a decision yet? Have you made a decision yet?" And I'm like, "No, nah, I don't know." And then it got to a point where it was like mid-December and we needed to submit paperwork to the Board of Elections to have enough time to get on the November 3rd ballot. So he called me and he's like, I know this is really last minute, but like we need to submit this paperwork tomorrow. And I think that you're the person to, to take this campaign and run with it. And um, I said, no. <laughs> And uh, I was, you know, it was, it was a lot of back and forth that I had with me and my husband, but I was literally like, what are the people at my kid's school going to think are, is my daughter not ever going to be invited on play dates? Uh, are, are the other parents going to think I'm this crazy person that's doing drugs and putting my children in harm's way? You're about to become the mushroom lady. <laughs> I know, like the mushroom <laughs> mama. Ooh, I um, like that. That's, that's, that's the alliteration works. Me. That's good. That's good. <laughs> Yes, he goes, okay, Mushroom Mama. Uh -huh. <laughs> so uh, what else have I been called? Oh, I've been called the mother of the movement, too. I do Ooh. like that. Mother of the yes, yes. Because I feel like these energies are very feminine. and Definitely. Like, I, I it would be awesome to have, like, a, a female, like, foster this into the world. Hell yeah, um, dude. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, I said no. And then I laid down in bed and... I just like looked at my husband. I'm like, I've made a terrible mistake. And he's like, what are you talking about? It's like, no, you made a good mistake. I'm like, well, why don't I feel good about this decision mm. that I made? It doesn't feel, I feel like this is an opportunity to like make an impact. Like I've always wanted to make an impact on society. And I was like, I can, I think I can like help a lot of people. And this makes so much sense. Cause like, I'm not, I'm not an activist. Uh, I like have, I have a normal job that I go to. That's like a nine to five. And like, 
like kids that just like go, we, we ride our bikes to school. It's like such a normal life that, um, like it just makes so much sense. So we, we, we talked it through for like two hours in the pitch dark, um, laying in bed. And I was like, I think I should do it. And he go, he was like, all right. My husband was a little skeptical, but he, I will say that he followed my lead and he, he trusted me. And I'm grateful for that because, um, yeah, we submitted the paperwork in December. We left for the holidays. Like we left the day that we submitted everything. Um, we went down to Alabama where my husband's from to hang out with his parents. And then, uh, we went to Atlanta for, to meet some friends for new years. And like, we barely talked about this with anybody. Cause like, we didn't really know what to think. We submitted the paperwork. I came home, we got in the car on this like 11 hour long road trip. And we were just like, what are we about to step into here? And we, we looked at each other. We're like, let's just like lay low for two weeks. Like let's process this. And then we can deal with what we're about to do when we get back. But it was literally like, I got back on a Sunday and Wednesday was our kickoff in January. And, um, the kickoff of the campaign was, um, the first time I'd ever like spoken publicly about something like personal, you know, I've spoken to big groups of people at work or, or other things in a professional capacity, but uh, to get up in front of a room full of people and be so raw and honest about the most terrible time in your life is super intimidating. And I didn't know if everyone was going to think that I was a weirdo or <laughs> that I am like, I don't know. I didn't know what anyone was going to think, but of course it was like the Baltimore Psychedelic Society, DC Psychedelic Society. It was like the most friendly group of people ever. Um, there was a reporter from NPR there and um, we did a little interview there and then a story ran the next day. And then I had friends calling me and being like, you went through what you did? What? Wow. Like, how did I not know that you were going through all this? And how did I not know? Like you were taking mushrooms and wait, like you saw a shaman and, and to I'm find like, out through NPR. Yeah. yeah like, Surprise. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Uh, so it was, it was a little, it was funny. It was like, I felt like I was finally like living my truth and it was like a big weight off of me really. Cause ultimately like all these people around me that didn't know, you know, I got a lot of like, we're sorry, we weren't there to help you. Mm. And, um, you know, I, I don't feel resentful towards anyone or anything. I don't think that anyone could have helped me at that point, you know, um, my husband has, he's educated in social work and family sciences. And like, he knows a lot about dysfunctions and families and how that can affect a family dynamic. And, you know, he was fully equipped to deal with a situation like this and he couldn't even handle it. You know, like he got to a point where he was just like, well, like, I don't know what to do anymore. And I don't feel bad for you that you're having a panic attack because you're having this, like there reached a point where he like, he couldn't care anymore because it was just so emotionally draining for him. And it took a toll on our marriage, like crazy. Um, you know, we even went to couples therapy because like our lines of communication were so broken, but, um, it really was like not only a profound change for me, but like a change in dynamics I was having with everybody. Um, now I do feel like, okay, now that everyone knows all the information, like we can all like have a fresh start and go from there. But, um, it was, it was hard to keep that a secret. It was, um, you know, cause like your friends want to do right by you, but everyone is busy and living their lives and I didn't want to burden anybody. So 
it was really interesting to have it come out that way. And, um, yeah, it's been, it's been nothing but positive ever since. And so the, the first phase of this was getting enough, um, ballot signatures to even get it on to, um, to have it be an option for DC voters to decide in November. Um, that's kind of at the phase of the process where we were introduced to each other. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and I, I, and I just have to say that was my first time. I, I think the word, uh, grassroots political campaign is kind of, you know, it's kind of a buzzword now used in media, but that was the first time that I had truly seen a grassroots political effort. Um, I remember, you know, we, we met at, um, Adam's house and it was literally just a a group of like the friendliest people (laughs) I've ever met in my life, just stapling signs together, folding t-shirts. There were adorable puppies everywhere. And, and it was like, I just, I just remember being struck by that, by just like, oh my God, like this is, this is really how the world changes that like it's through these things that people feel strongly about and, and unite under that energy. And it it was just so cool to, to be there for even that small moment. Um, Yeah. And then we're a group of like, I mean, very few people are paid on this campaign we in the you know we all believe in this and we all have experienced tremendous healing with plant medicines and that's kind of the the line that binds us all and um we we really want this to happen and not just for us but for people that you know are at risk or people in marginalized communities like how can plant medicine change people's perceptions of themselves and help people deal with traumas they're experiencing on a daily basis. And like, we're seeing these problems unfold in our society. And I think that right now, so many of us feel so disempowered by all of it, but citizen activism is really important. And um, it's not just about voting. Uh, Voting is really, really important, but there are other ways that you can change your community and change laws in the city that you live in. And um, after going through this experience, as difficult as it has been, um, it is, uh, it's really like awesome to see that this still exists in our country, you know, that you can still have a true citizen led initiative and change laws. What What do you think it is about the psychedelic experience specifically that it creates such a, a miracle. I mean, I, 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 I hesitate to use that word, but, but it yeah. truly, I mean, based on what you're describing to me, it, it truly does sound miraculous what it, it's able to do for people. Why, I guess, what is, what is the difference between what's happening through psychedelic um, therapy versus what um, our sort of traditional paths towards mental mm-hmm. healing are? Mm-hmm. Um. Well, scientifically, these are the only substances that regenerate neurons in your brain. Um, Antidepressants do not do that. In fact, nothing does that. No pharmaceutical or other natural substance can do that. Uh, So it can fix what is literally broken in your brain. And it can create connections that previously don't exist or haven't been used. And it kind of fires up everything in your brain so that like, you have a clean slate to work with afterwards. But, you know, my personal experience with them and the most profound thing that I've learned 
and I was a pretty empathetic person before, but um, I really, I think it's the empathy thing. It's that you have an understanding that you struggled and you could overcome it. And all of us struggle at one point in our lives. And if like that, that person hasn't overcome it yet, you're totally compassionate to them. And you're patient with people because you have that empathy that they are, we're all human beings in this world. And we're like, all of us are equal. No one's better than the other. And, um, it's funny because, you know, you have experiences with psychedelics and you crave that kind of community that understands that. And um, it's a beautiful thing when it comes up, you know, this is the community that we're building in DC is just, it's so awesome and so diverse. And um, I hope it stays, I, I hope it stays in that kind of mindset and grows in numbers that people understand that like, we just want to have people have the ability to heal themselves and to feel empowered and um, when there are solutions present that, you know, we don't need mountains and mountains of research. Like we should, we should just like trust that there, there nature does provide for a reason. Um, you know, hospitals haven't always existed and, you know, and there's plenty of indigenous communities that use these methods to heal themselves like over millennia. So like we need to kind of take a step back and, um, like kind of regenerate that spirit again and connect ourselves with um, our emotional side and um, understand that our mental health is something that needs to be cared to and like cared after. Yeah. I've always, I've always kind of struggled with that. You know, it it seems like (sighs) there have been years and years and years of demonstrated positive benefits from things like mushrooms uh, mescaline LSD, yeah. Yeah. but you know, even, even before the, um, the controlled substances act, put them all in that schedule one category, mm-hmm. the, the scientific research was, was showing many of the same things that the scientific research is now showing. Yeah. And we effectively lost decades of, of progress, 50 but years. 50 years and, and yeah. even it, it's insane. But, but even, yeah. even before you know, the uh, uh, Albert Hoffman first synthesized LSD. We, we have these indigenous communities that have known about these medicines, known about their benefits for, for so long, but but there's just the way we kind of operate as far as, uh, you know, quote unquote, modern culture. I, I always find it funny that it's like we, we need to, we need to understand like how the machine works before we're ready to, allow it to the masses versus you know just we know it works you know or or in 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 a lot of cases you know i Mm -hmm. i think i i hesitate to say it works um because i think Mm -hmm. that one of the things that i at least i've learned um through kind of following this stuff is that and and i'm curious to hear your thoughts on this is it's not a Mm catch-all i think people people think that um people want to treat it like it is sort of just a pill maybe. Mm-hmm. And, you mm-hmm. know, I, I've, I've been challenged um, by, you know, my friends in the past of like, you know, if it, if it works so well, then yeah. how, how, what about this guy? You yeah. know, what about the, the kid that, you know, he's still an asshole. He, he's taking, <laughs> he takes right. shrooms all the time. Like why is he still depressed and kind of a piece right. of shit? Right. Um, what, what, so what, what, what is happening there? Like, Yeah. 
No, Johns Hopkins' biggest study, and I believe their first study, was their smoking cessation study. And they found that with one um, hero dose of psilocybin, lifelong smokers quit smoking. And five years later, 80% of them still don't smoke. So that is profound results from a re- uh, from a, uh, like research. So, um, you know, there's still people out there that take psychedelics recreationally or to heal that smoke cigarettes. So why are, are they still smoking? I think it has everything to do with the, the intention. You know, it's we have to be really careful of um, marketing this as like mm. a miracle cure because um, you have to be you have to want that change. You have to be ready for that change. You have to put the work in afterwards to see it through. I never say psychedelics cured me. I say that psychedelics allowed me to cure myself. Um, I. I totally believe that if you have somebody whose intention is just to get fucked up and party, like that's what they're going to get out of it. They're going to have a good time or maybe they'll have a bad trip and then they won't do it for a while. Like whatever happens, but there's no such thing as a bad trip. I do love hearing those. I do love hearing those (laughs) stories from people, uh, you know, where it's like, Oh, I tried, I tried shrooms once and I thought it was terrible. I'm never going to do it again. And I, yeah, I always ask them about their experience. Like, Oh yeah. I was like, some guy showed up at a party and he just like handed them out. And I just, I, I shake my head and I'm yeah, just like, no. Oh no. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. It's, it's all about, I mean, everyone in the psychedelic world knows this, but for people that don't, there's a saying that says it's all about your set and your setting. What is your mindset going into the experience? And then what setting are you in? Are you in a, like a really loud, crazy party where you don't know a lot of people? Are you in public? Um, like where, where are you physically mentally and are you ready for that experience so that's what i think that people should learn from bad trips it's like something was off with your mindset or something was off with your setting you were not with the right people um when done with the right people for some people that's defined differently um the right people could be in a clinic with a licensed therapist with somebody that's going to help you integrate afterwards Um, for other people that is maybe in a cabin in the woods with some of their closest friends like that can be a therapeutic session for somebody um, it just depends. And, um, you know, I think we need to get out of this mindset that it's really a part of our healthcare system, like take this pill and it'll make you better. Um, there's, there's no such thing as that, you know, like you have to be able to um, put the work into what you're trying to achieve. And that's the big difference there. What is so okay, so let's let's fast forward a little bit here. So yeah. um, I-81 hypothetically mm-hmm. passes um mm-hmm. come november it's it's really the hypothetical hypo- it, will. it will it will i like <laughs> that i like that um what does the landscape in dc look like um is this is this another cannabis am i going to be able to um well huh, i was about to say am i going to be able to go to the store but we still can't go to the store and purchase <laughs> cannabis in dc we have to I purchase mean, mardi gras beads. like a yes exactly <laughs> Mardi Gras beads and uh, it'll come with a free gift. Uh, but yeah. I mean, yeah. What, what, what do you, um, are, are there plans m- moving forward um, after this, this passes? Like what, what do you envision as the, the future of this? I mean, we'll see. Uh, it's sure. so early on and we've been so focused on November. Is it such a huge hurdle yeah. that um, 
you know, we haven't really had much time to like kind of like plan out what next step is. And also DC is in kind of a funky place with what has to happen before we take that next step. Um, you know, Denver and Oakland have passed initiatives like this in Santa Cruz as well. Oakland just introduced a resolution about a community led effort where the community controls um, the entire psychedelic sector for, for the city, um, the licensing and um, accreditation happens at the community level and at the government level. So it's really like the community healing itself. Um, Oregon has a complete medical model on the ballot for November where they'll have psilocybin clinics set up all over the state. They'll have licensed therapists there to help you have a guided um, therapy session with psilocybin. Uh, but DC is in a little different situation. So um, we don't have full control of our budget and our laws. We still have, are under really tight congressional oversight. Um, additionally, we are bound by the Harris Rider, which is a, um, a budget rider that was put on us by Andy Harris to prevent um, to prevent DC from having a fully regulated cannabis market because he was just so morally opposed to that. Um, and he he offered a little bit of. Uh of uh, resistance towards this, but, but quickly back down, it seems like. He did admit there is uh, there is research that supports that this is a therapy. That's so, huge, actually. A, a conservative Republican admitting that there is medical application, for, potential medical application for psilocybin is a very big deal. And that shows you that you can't deny this research. You, the, the science doesn't lie and we need to be listening to it. But um you know, he's still totally against us and would probably will try and stop this at some point in time. I'm fully ready for that. But um, yeah, he, so he was trying to prevent a fully regulated cannabis market. So he put this rider on our budget that uh, doesn't allow us to change penalties with uh, any schedule one drugs. So um, our initiative is uh, only asking the Metropolitan Police Department to make offenses around these substances amongst the lowest law enforcement priority. So jaywalking and psilocybin possession would be at the same level, essentially. Um, so um, until we can get, Demo until Democrats can get control of the Senate, the Harris Rider will not, like the Harris Rider's in place until the Democrats remove it. Republicans have zero interest in DC having statehood, having two votes, having, you know, they, tr they use us as a, pawn, a political pawn at times. And, um, you know, the Democrats majority in the Senate will essentially, we know that through conversations that we had with various people in Congress, um, we know that they will remove the Harris Rider as soon as they take majority and then um, moves, move towards DC having statehood, which will have full control over all laws, hopefully soon. Um, and then at that point, that's when we can take this reform to the next level. Um, and we will see what it kind of looks like. My, my presumption is that there will be a medical model um, format similar to what Oregon's proposing and a community-led effort as well. Like, I, don't, I think these things can work hand in hand with each other. Um, it just depends on what the jurisdiction's wants and needs are, you know, and we're out there in the community having these conversations all the time right now we're informing them of like what this could look like and um it's it's cool to you know present people with this potential 
that, you know, it's, these are powerful substances that can change your life. And, uh, you know, you can have a, you could go to your community, this community healing center maybe, and, you know, have an experience and, you know, walk away feeling empowered and motivated and ready to make some changes for yourself. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Um, you know, I would like to say, yes, this is exactly the steps that we're going to take, but I think that we need to, um, first make sure that initiative 81 passes resoundingly. Um, and then we need to ensure that the Harris riders are moved and then we can start looking at what this looks like in DC. It's, I just, I, I just think it is, it is just so fascinating to see <laughs> all the different movement around this subject uh, right now, yeah. because yeah. It, 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 it seemed for so long, you know, that it, it was just kind of discussions happening uh, like on the Joe Rogan experience podcast, right. you know, right. and, and, you know, say what you will about, about Joe Rogan. It, it's not a, uh, it's not cool to like Rogan anymore. Apparently, whatever, whatever. Uh, <laughs> he has some questionable like guests him. on, yeah. but um, so he, he also had Bernie Sanders on. So like, I don't know. He, he, he's not a political guy. He, his political interviews are probably my least favorite, but like, whatever, I get it. Like he, he has, I, he has had so many conversations that have, have introduced people to this. And, and yes. I think it's, it's just so cool to see um, folks like you and, and all the folks that work at Decrim Nature advocating for something that they are truly passionate about. Um, and I mean, this might sound lofty. I, I don't know, but I personally believe that measures like this could literally change the world. I mean, it, it is, yeah. I, I think that is, it, it's such a, a massive um, epidemic in this country. Yes. Me mental health issues are, are debilitating. It, it, I just, it, yeah. it pains me so much thinking about all the folks that are not living to their full potential and not contributing what they could be to the ultimate progress of mankind. And, and here we have some, we have an experience that literally grows out of the ground. It, the, the earth, earth provides it for you. And, and it has the potential. Rock Creek Park. Right, exactly. In DC, yeah. in, in DC, yeah. these things grow. Uh, it's, it's in the nation's capital, you know, they're schedule one yeah. substances. It's, it's, it's crazy, but, um, like, like my God, if we had a, a country where these barriers to um, these barriers to access to healing weren't so so challenging, I, I know that even um, you know the, the, there are talks of how it's happening right now. I think where you know there there are, there's FDA approval coming um, for for psychedelic therapy, but you know it it, it I always see the caveat of like for treatment resistant depression Ask, oh, yeah. asking yeah. you to go through basically all the channels that you are so afraid of to mm -hmm. have to try all these all these different pharmaceuticals and and it's just and it, i don't know it, it's hard because i know there there are a ton of there are a ton of different forces in this in this field um you know yeah. it's like it's why a, does it need to get that bad right. you know you know i uh was talking to somebody once who had lifelong depression and um, he tried uh, ketamine therapy and he had, he had a, like a few months, I think of like feeling good after his treatment with ketamine, but 
Um, for one reason or another, he couldn't continue the treatment, but you know, he slipped back into his depression. He was desperate for a solution and he literally drove to Johns Hopkins from the middle of Virginia and was like, can you please accept me in your study? And they were like, no, we can't because you had your depression wasn't treatment resistant. You had positive results from ketamine that one time. Right. So like, this is a really important part of the movement is how can we make this accessible and equitable? You know, it shouldn't um, just be for veterans, you know, veterans health, mental health is a total epidemic that this country has to address as a duty to address for these people that have given up their lives to fight for us. Um, But, you know, veterans are not the only one that are suffering. There's plenty of people in DC who live in just traumatic areas that have PTSD, who live in poverty, who don't have fresh food, who don't have a family structure that's supportive of them, who don't have good education. The list goes on and on. These are all like micro traumatic events that build up into a person living a life that's just not meaningful and unhappy and sometimes violent. And, um, we're at a tipping point now where things have got to change. Like we need to stop getting out of this for-profit corporate model and start actually providing healthcare to people right now. We're just like treating illnesses and um, we're just still so constantly sick and tired. Our food is littered with all sorts of chemicals and we're all getting cancer and everyone is just so unhappy. And when, when is it going to be enough? Like, we need to be forcing this charge through because there's so much money and interest in keeping us sick. So um, yeah, this, I I see this as being like, yes, this could impact my community, but this can impact society as a whole. And this can impact the entire world even and how, like what foreign relations will look like post psychedelic movement and um, what is environmental policy going to look like post psychedelic movement. like we need to make a change. Our, our, our planet is trying to kick us off. We're not treating it well. And, um, and that's just one of the problems, you know? So there's so many issues happening right now and we need to go back to the source of the problems that we're all broken people. We're not connected to each other anymore. We have tons of Facebook friends, but like how many real relationships and support, like and how much, how many communities exist that are truly supportive and um, it just has to change. And it, and it, you know, it's, it's just, it's so crazy. And I, I'm, I'm, I keep just kind of harping and, and rambling here because I, because I am interested in this clearly, but yeah. it, there is an aspect of it. The, the, the treatments and the experiences seem to always go another level for mm-hmm. a lot of people in, in mm-hmm. the stories that I've heard, you know, from people that have had psilocybin experiences, ayahuasca experiences, what have you. It's not just that you are cured of your quote unquote. It's not just that your right. your depression improves or your right. anxiety improves or what have you. There people come out of this. It seems with a a deeper fundamental understanding of their role as a human being on planet Earth. And and yes. that is always and that the consistency with which that happens is crazy. I think um Maps. I'm, I'm sure if it was Maps or, or Johns Hopkins, but um, they released uh, some research into um, experiences with um, dimethyltryptamine, and they found a significant mm-hmm. significant percentage of the people who were going into this um, treatment as atheists 
came out mm-hmm. with like some they're like ah oh, actually i don't think i'm quite an atheist <laughs> anymore at, like after that and yes this I, was johns hopkins okay okay thank you yeah i, yes. I wasn't sure which one yes. it was but yeah. just i don't know like does that do you get excited about about that too like it, it seems like they're it's so much more than just making people happy oh yes yes it's making you human again um like i like i I would never be able to do this campaign, work a full-time job, take care of my two kids, um, take care of my marriage prior to this. Like my, my old self wouldn't have any capacity for any of this, but my experience was my experiences with psychedelics have like, I believe have led me to my true purpose in this world, which is to be a shepherd for this movement. Um, in DC and and hopefully in other places as well but um, yeah your capacity for your life is so much bigger and you can handle more and you understand that there are little things and then there are big things and you kind of like you you realize that all the things that you really are anxious about in life are really minor and don't matter and it's about your connections to other people and your connections to your family and like this is really not like hippy dippy talk, but like it really, like it really makes you compassionate for other people, even people you don't like you're compassionate towards and um, how that could change society. We're just, just like seeing what's happening on the news constantly. It's just like, man, if only we had like regular access to psychedelics and talk therapy that that I would go with that and how profound that could be the effects of psychedelics are magnified whenever they're followed by talk therapy and like this is it's truly life-changing and like I don't feel like I've changed as a human being but I've just like I'm a better version of myself I think that that was like the big worry with ayahuasca with me I was like am I gonna come home and be like vegan and like be crazy like hippie and I I was so like worried that I was it was going to change who I am at my core but it it hasn't it's kind of like brought me into who I always knew I was deep down and um I have a confidence before that I never had uh speaking in public was oh I hated it speaking on camera was even worse listening to myself on camera watching myself on camera all these things would I would have been mortified of but now I just feel like uh like it doesn't matter. Like who cares if I don't look a hundred percent perfect or I didn't say a hundred percent perfect thing. Like none of that shit matters anymore. It's like, what's, what's important right now is that like, I see this initiative through and I, I run a good solid campaign that's inclusive and um, is honest and has integrity. And um, yeah, it's just my whole life has changed for the better after all these experiences. Melissa, this is uh just so so exciting um i am just it's it's just it's it's just so cool um being able to to have this conversation with you and man when i so um i'll I'll put i'll repost a link to this when i when i get the podcast up but um i i did a story for newsy um Uh featuring melissa and i I, so i I spent a little bit of time with you and your family and the the warmth and the (laughs) the love that like just it, it was Oh God, I, I, it was, I, I'm literally struck. I have no words for just oh, like how I felt. So it nice. was, it was so, it was just such a, a 
good, warm feeling. And, and you can tell that this truly means a lot to you, that there yeah. is, this is not um, something that you are just doing because you want to be like the famous mushroom mama or, no. or, or what have you. And, and, and I, and I believe you, I, I genuinely believe that you want this world to be better and you yeah. just believe that this is a path towards improving the world at least in some aspects yeah i'm terrified for my children right now and my friends children and what will their children have to deal with and like how can how can we make these changes so that like we live in a drastically different society that's compassionate with each other that's um that builds people up and not cuts them down or excludes people um yeah and you know like my family is so fucking wonderful right I love them and I'm just so grateful to be here with them you know there's times when I'm like where I have a moment be like god like my daughter will do something really cute she's always like performing or something and I'll be like god I'm so glad I'm here to see this you know and I think that's another lesson I learned is just to be like really grateful for what I have and um I I think everyone should feel like that you know and it's just so sad that we've been living so long without, you know, you know, with this society that's just so different than what I thought like adulthood was going to be in like this country was going to be that like, we've got to do something to make things better for our kids. We have a duty to them. Um, they deserve to breathe fresh air and drink clean water and, you know, live in a compassionate society. And, yeah, it's definitely not an ego trip for me. I still am a little uncomfortable in um, situations like being on camera, but um, it's okay. Uh, I don't know if I'll ever get over that, but um, I do feel like it, it's necessary. I think people need to hear from me and they need to listen to my story and they need to understand that um, it's okay to struggle and it happens to everyone, no matter what your socioeconomic status, no matter your race, no matter w anything. Like, it is human to struggle, but it's also, it's inhumane to continue to live in a society that does not, it's not providing solutions that work. So um, this is really extremely personal to me and I just feel really passionately about it. I'm just so grateful to be here. Melissa, I could talk to you for probably <laughs> another four hours, but I know you are extremely busy. Um, yes. What, what can, um, what can folks do? I guess first, maybe what can folks in DC do? What should they know? What should they um, give them some action items if they're interested in this? People in DC, you can do a slew of different things. Um, you can volunteer for us by phone banking at home if you're still uncomfortable doing anything in person. Um, if you're if you're a little bit more comfortable, we are. Um, a really safe campaign. We have a health and safety officer that um, is on call for us that is ensuring that we are practicing safe social distancing and um, safe, I guess, public health um, measures, I guess. All the exciting uh, things that all we now the have exciting to consider. Yeah. <laughs> hand sanitizer, face masks. You know, we, we never sit in an enclosed office for the two weeks of signature drive that I was in the campaign office, the doors were open constantly, everything was spaced out. So, um, you know, we are taking, um, a lot of time with making sure everyone is safe and we've had zero positive COVID results from our campaign. So I'm very, very happy about that. Um, so, you know, you can hang up posters for us. 
We have a few posters, a few poster designs that are new for this phase of our campaign, and we always need help putting that up. We have a voter registration drive. You can go sit at the polls and get the word out while people are doing early voting. Um, you can do outreach for us. We have a ton of organizations that we're trying to get endorsements from or letters of support from. Um, and that's as simple as sending an email to somebody. We will help you craft that and um, you'll have all the support that you'll need for that. Additionally, you can phone bank, um, which phone banking is probably the easiest thing to do if for people that are not in DC. Um, you can sit at your in your house and call people and inform them about our initiative and get them to put yes on it. Um, you could also donate. Uh, we have cool new t-shirts. I'm wearing one right now. Um, <laughs> and um, I think we're going to have some new special edition shirts coming out soon. So you could always donate to our campaign that way. Um, but, you know, spreading the word, if you are a DC voter and you know other DC voters, talk about this campaign with them. You know, this is not a, like a, a campaign that's promoting a reckless recreational use of this, of these substances. We are a campaign that's talking about mental health and healing and the therapeutic use of psychedelics. So, um, we know that this is, um, kind of a tough subject at times, but, um, it's an important subject to talk about. So we're really handicapped right now. We can't we can't be doing, you know, normally in a campaign, you'd be having multiple events a weekend and I'd be probably running around like crazy in the city, but we can't really do that right now with COVID. So uh, any kind of outreach or any kind of community groups that you know of that might be interested in this here, connect us. And, um, you know, there's so much work to do and we are a volunteer-led um, campaign and the volunteer energy is really powerful and we're all here because we believe in this so if anyone wants to join our team we're always taking new volunteers help out i-81 y'all uh if you're in dc and just i i uh, I, I i'm still just struggling for words <laughs> here i melissa i thank you thank you so much thank you for all you're doing all you've done um yes. you are truly a force for good in this world and i am just Aww. so excited to see where all these uh where all these seeds end up yes, that, the, yes. that you are planting yes it's exciting i feel so lucky to be able to do this it's um, um we're like part of changing the world and i think that this is uh, a really good positive first step in a really really tough year so um just grateful to be here thank you zach thank you and thank you guys for tuning in we'll catch you next time